0: Welcome to Chicago's Radical Kinship Podcast. This is your host, Kevin Kelly, broadcasting from Old St. Pat's Church in Chicago's West Loop, where we listen to the needs of those on the margins to savor our communities and transform us beyond what divides us. In this episode, we enter into a dialogue concerning immigration in our country and the effects of COVID-19 on those who cross our shores and what we can strive for with the incoming administration and New Year. We are first joined by Fiona McEntee, an award-winning nationally-recognized immigration attorney. She is the founding and managing attorney for McKenty Law Group. She prides herself in her creative and passionate advocacy. Fiona and her team of advocates represent individuals and families, as well as the world's leading musicians, artists, athletes, innovative entrepreneurs, and multinational and U.S. companies. She regularly appears on national and international media, including MSNBC, BBC, CNN, The New York Times, Politico, the Chicago Tribune. As a proud Irish immigrant and nationalized U.S. citizen, in 2019, Fiona was inducted into the Irish American Hall of Fame in the Irish American Heritage Center here in Chicago. Fiona has recently published her first book, Our American Dream, a children's book on immigration to explain the importance of a diverse and welcoming America. Our next guest is Maureen Helwig, a lifelong Chicagoan and member of OSP for over 20 years. Marine is co-chair of the Immigration and Refugee Rights Committee since 2018. Maureen is also an urban planner who has spent many years working at settlement houses, especially Erie Neighborhood House, and wrote a book about their 150 years of service to immigrants called Neighbor Among Neighbors. Finally, we are joined by special guest Gazelle Jules, a DePaul engineering student born in Haiti. Gazelle shares with us the struggles and difficulties faced as an immigrant today in the U.S. Welcome to Fiona, Maureen, and Kazelle. Welcome to the Radical Kinship Podcast.
1: Thank you for having us. Yes, it's a pleasure.
0: Thank you for having me. So we want to get started with just uh, kind of a background of how we've seen issues surrounding immigration as it pertains to to COVID here locally in Chicago and just kind of the the scopes and depths that we've seen. Um, And really, we can start with you, Fiona, what your thoughts are as a practicing attorney here in the city. Um, what you've seen in kind of changes within the past year with the pandemic?
2: So, I mean, I think the first thing is that, you know, as immigration attorneys, you know, part of what we do is help the mobility of people. So we help people move from one country into the, you know, to the U.S. um, or people who are here, we help them stay here. And I think um, obviously the pandemic has really pu- has shut down global mobility in so many ways. And so it has kind of impacted the clients and the people that we help in lots of different ways. And it kind of depends really on where they are. So we have people who have been stuck abroad and um, going through, let's say, the fiancé visa process. We had a client who was approved for a visa interview through the through U.S. citizen fiancé um and and basically trying for months and months and months to get the interview scheduled and um, we ended up pursuing some lawsuit in respect to that case but I'm happy to report that and um, the foreign national fiance has just entered the U.S. on the fiance visa and they will be getting married soon but and um, that's an example of one story you know that was just really prolonged separation due to embassy closures and um you know lots of other things um and then, of course, there's the people who are here, you know, losing jobs, um, undocumented immigrants that are working in um, all different industries um, here, being essential workers, not having access to the support that they need. Um, so I just feel like it's it's really impacted the vulnerable immigrant population.
0: Right. And so, Maureen, as the uh, as the co-chair of the Immigration and Refugee Committee, too, you've, you've had a shift to not only providing Meetings and, and the uh, lecture series that the committee provides to the parish, but um, also the families that the, the church has adopted. Could you explain more of how they've been impacted and what you've seen kind of over the, the, this past year?
1: Sure. Um, <clears throat> we started out um, with the idea of working uh, to support um, refugee families, which, you know, refugee is a specific status uh, for uh, immigrants. And um, we ended up over time adopting um, three, four families, um, three through Catholic Charities, and one came to us from a, through a member of the parish who heard about what we were doing, came to the committee table and said she had been single-handedly, more or less, supporting um, a Syrian family uh, through, that she contacted through the Heartland Alliance. So, there are a couple of organizations who can help uh, churches, parishes, or individuals connect with refugee families. So, as it stands, uh, we're supporting a family from Colombia, from um, Syria, and Myanmar. And you know, everybody, we always say used to be Burma because I think few people are still used to calling it Myanmar. But anyway. And then um, there were two brothers uh, from the Congo. Um, One of those brothers has since moved out of state to Kentucky, but the other brother is still here, so we still continue to um, support him as well. And our idea has always been uh, what we call accompaniment, that it's not about, you know, sending people stuff or, you know, just kind of... um, superficially getting to know them. Uh, pre-pandemic, you know we have visited them at their homes. you know we've, we've tried to be a good friend to them uh, and not just be you know some abstract committee that donates stuff. It um, doesn't mean we haven't had donations, <laughs> everything from grocery cards to a piano. <laughs> uh, one of our members um, found out that uh, Luis Ramos and from the Colombian family was interested in piano. He had an, uh, an old electronic keyboard that he was playing. So she started with the lessons on that. And when that broke down, um, she went looking for a piano for him and happened to mention to us, could we help with the move? So and the committee ended up helping the, to pay for the purchase of the piano and then the move of the piano uh, to his house. So that's an example of you know getting engaged with the family, knowing the child well enough to know what they want. And for that same family, we also ended up last spring, after the pandemic had hit, of holding a uh, virtual baby shower (laughs) for Mrs. Ramos, who was expecting, and she had a little girl uh, last spring. Um, We've also helped with things like employment, um, assisting them in getting a green card. Um, Those are the kind of things that we've been doing. And I don't know if you want me to shift now to our exploration of strategies for immigrants who are not refugees. Should I just go ahead and do that? Or you want to hold that?
0: Yeah, no, no. We'll definitely touch on that here in a minute. There's a lot to impact there and just the, you know, money is important, but there's definitely more we can do uh, as citizens to, uh, to kind of welcome members and, and, you know, I love the idea of it's, it's me the need of a desire for a child to learn how to play the piano and Somebody would be able to provide that. So they, and that's kind of the, some of the principles of kinship is meeting people where they are and kind of forming those relations. So, but even as, before, the, going kins- to add
1: as as the trust grew, like what happened is one weekend the family could not reach their caseworker because it was a weekend, so she just called, you know, her family liaison and got an answer to the question. Uh, so you know. There's that flexibility of being being available as a group of volunteers that's a little different than paid staff
0: wonderful so one of the things i think before the pandemic one of the big issues that we saw as a nation was kind of the change in immigration policy and over the the last four years and how that how that's different kind of throughout our history i know maureen the the immigration committee has also presented on these topics before in in the past but um seeing how the how things have changed before the pandemic and kind of moving into a new administration. I was wondering if uh, Cazelle or Fiona, if you could definitely kind of comment on what you've seen, major changes you've seen kind of nationally and here uh, locally. Yeah, um, so uh, do you want
3: me to... You know, uh, comment on that question from a student perspective, or just in general. Uh, you know, both would be great. <laughs> yeah, well, um, since since I am currently a student, um, studying um, at the poll so I think that uh, um, I, uh, I mean, from my experience here in the United States uh, as a student, and I think that I am more comfortable to. Uh, address uh, this question from a student uh, perspective, because uh, uh, I remember um, um, in 2016, um, w- uh, when I was in Boston, uh, I'm just sharing a short personal experience uh, studying at Northeastern University, and then it was, you know, uh, the uh, the 2016 uh, election, and uh, looking at and um you know looking um, reflecting back on it um, resources that uh that were available to uh immigrants students or uh immigrants in general so that um that was pretty uh, that i, I mean um uh, even though uh the policies then um uh towards uh, immigrant students, or toward immigrants in general, or undocumented um, immigrants, e- even though the policies were uh, were were less harsh, uh, uh, but uh, there were few resources available for them. Uh, uh, why? Because I I think um, uh, there was like a lack of visibility. Uh, there was uh, a lack of uh, uh, there was a lack of awareness uh, when it comes to immigration. So now, you know, uh, from from uh, from 2016 uh, until now, with a new administration uh, who uh, focuses heavily on immigration uh when it comes to policy and things like that so now uh, I think that uh, the Americans people in general now are more aware of uh immigration uh, issues uh, uh would that be instead now uh from from a go from a governmental standpoint even though uh, there are less resources uh, available for immigrants, but uh, um, but at the same time, there is more uh, non-profit or independent resources available for immigrants because of that um, uh, because of that uh, vis- uh, visibility, because of that uh, I, um, awareness, um, because now people are more aware of immigration issue in churches. Uh, out there uh, uh, supporting immigrants, uh, uh, not just churches. uh, You have uh, organizations and you have uh, uh, schools are now supporting immigrants. So um, just to share a personal story, I was in Boston studying at Northeastern University and I was admitted to uh, Northeastern University School of Professional uh, Engineering um, Studies. Even though I was admitted uh, to the program I couldn't um, study in there because uh, I wasn't eligible for a grant or for a scholarship that I was supposed to get. So I was de- uh, 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 denied uh, from that scholarship be- uh, after they found out about my immigration status. So now, as a student at DePaul, the resources that are available for students at Loyola University uh, uh, i have personally benefited from churches. And 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 I've known uh, many immigrants, and I've worked with the immigrant community, and uh, they've been um, benefiting uh, a lot from uh, independent organization and churches.
0: Wonderful, and Fiona, I know you were involved heavily with the lawyers going to the airports during the Muslim ban. That was about two years or so, roughly three years ago. So. What changes have you seen even just that short amount of time or over the past four years? And what is kind of your sense of where things may be headed with the next administration, both here locally uh, and nationally?
2: So I just would like to say about what well, Kazal just said that I totally agree with everything he said. I mean, I feel like he he basically you know, what the administration has done, the, I guess the the takeaway that we've seen from this is that more people are now aware of, of immigration. Um, and it was obviously done not necessarily, I mean, we it, there's been a lot of negatives that have come from the awareness, but there have been some positives that have come. And I think, you know, I've been practicing as an immigration lawyer for 13 years um, and doing advocacy and work, you know, before that. And uh, what I've seen is, a lot more interest in immigration when it comes to law students like the amount of people that have come to me to say they want to learn about immigration and you know there's like a whole new generation of immigration lawyers that are excited about being in this for all the right reasons um and so Kevin yeah with the with the Muslim ban so myself and my brother um we were one of the first attorneys at O'Hare airport um and we sued the administration in federal court in relation to to the muslim ban and obviously the other cases went to the supreme court but i will say that since then um you know just the facts the fact is that there have not one area of it, of it of immigration has kind of escaped the wrath of, of this administration and we've seen it in relation to students like just just one example for because, you know, um, international students, there was huge uproar this summer when um, the administration said they were going to th- threaten to deport foreign students if their, if their st- programs remained fully online, um, which kind of flew in the face of all the safety regulations and also kind of fails to acknowledge the huge benefits that we get as a country from foreign students. I mean, we are the lucky beneficiaries of this incredible, diverse, talented, and like hearing Kazelle talk about, you know, studying engineering. I mean, we should be so lucky to have these foreign students here and we should be doing everything we can to not only keep the ones that are here, but to encourage future foreign students to come to the US and, you know, there were other things that were done where there was a few um, senators that um, called for terminating the foreign students work program that they get after, after graduating from college, they got a work permit to work in their field. And I actually wrote an opinion piece in USA Today about how that would be just catastrophic. So, um, you know, I think that, it, you know, we've just seen a lot of different size of immigration be impacted Um, and I think getting out here having these conversations sharing stories is a great way to have Chats about the people behind all the statistics because you hear, oh, there's 12 million undocumented immigrants, but you know, each one of those is a person and they have a family and they have a life and they have friends, they have you know, and um, parishioner, you know, they're they're part of our communities, and so I'm looking forward to no longer an us versus them, but just like a we, like we're all in this together, and if we work together, I firmly believe that immigrants can help us get through and come out the other side of this pandemic and we're going to do it together and I really am looking forward to some really positive immigration changes ahead with the new administration
0: and uh one the things too we'll do a quick plug for your book our American dream uh we it's a a book for children where it kind of identifies the dreamers uh who kind of live among you who are part of everyday life so it's not an us and them but it's it's people that you see and interact with all the time and uh also, it is a beautiful book worth picking up. And it also was able to, you spoke at my level, so I was able, able to understand it. So I do appreciate you uh, for that as well. Uh, Maureen, what, it's, you were talking before about what the committee has done on kind of the immigration education standpoint. And mm-hmm. could you kind of touch on what, what you've done so far as a committee, where you see that aspect going yeah. in the future?
1: Well, um, well, there are certainly much more to do with refugees, you know, beyond the four families that we've been able to help, but we also wanted to um, give some of our attention to immigrants who are not refugees. And um, kind of serendipitously, we were put in touch with a couple of nonprofits who were helping um, an asylum seeker named Ernesto, who currently is in Texas, and has passed his, um, these are things I'm learning, his credible fear interview. Kind of a horrible kind of thought to say that you have to pass an interview to prove that it's unsafe for you to go back to your um, home country. So anyway, he's passed that and then he's, uh, that next step is the asylum application. The folks who are working with him in Texas um, somehow linked up with us, I think maybe through Kayla, and maybe Kate on our committee. Anyway, um, it looks like we're going to do the best we can to help Ernesto and his one-year-old son to move from Texas to Chicago and Illinois. And in a sense, this is also where public policy comes into play because Chicago is a sanctuary city and Illinois is a sanctuary state, Uh, Texas is not. So um, they decided it would be best for him to move to a more um, what shall I say, amenable uh, place in terms of at least public policy. And uh, you know with a, a single man and a one-year- old son, there's a lot of challenges to finding childcare, finding a job. Uh, fortunately, we've helped. Are we through the um, not so much us, but the National Coalition on Immigrant and Ref- Im- uh, Immigrant and detent- sorry, detained immigrants. <laughs> can me get that straight. Um, has uh, stepped up with an opportunity for affordable housing for at least a couple months. And it sounds like they've even persuaded their group to let him stay as long as he needs to. So we are now, uh, the committee is now focused on learning about what it means to be an asylum seeker and how we can help um, that kind of uh, immigrant uh, to um, find their place here in the United States.
0: That's, that's wonderful. And so, Kazelle, since uh, moving to Chicago as a student, what are some of the things, what's been your experience uh, since making the transition? You know, what have you seen um, kind of going forward as being a student at DePaul?
3: Well, um, how can I put it? Well, uh, I would say this. I mean, um, you know, in the beginning, so the transition from, uh, Haiti to Boston, and from Boston to Chicago, I would say that um, um, it was a bit uh, challenging uh, at first, um, you know, because when I first came here um, in Chicago uh, to study at IIT, Illinois Tech Institute of Technology, to study civil um, engineering, and again, um uh, you know, um, I was in war there. I uh, was studying civil engineering. Started to study uh, civil engineering, but again, with the same issue with immigration, uh, uh, the same predicament occurred, uh, where, where again, I was denying uh, uh, scholarships that I was uh, supposed uh, to get, uh, but. Uh, and and, and, um, and i couldn't continue with my studies so i was basically being kicked out so um and and living in chicago uh, um, and studying in chicago as a student uh, uh, comes with many challenges uh, uh, but uh, um, but i would say that with assistance from uh, from church um and i was able to bounce back and and and, and now uh, studying uh, now I'm a senior at the poll so uh but to put it in a brighter uh, uh, perspective I would say now that things are I mean now even though things are not perfect but we are seeing some progress uh, 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 I'm seeing uh, some progress uh reflecting back in um, when I first came in, in Chicago to now, uh, we are seeing some progress. And and also to uh, to go back to uh, awareness. I will say that uh, when we're talking about immigrations, people tend to focus or to see one community, uh, the Latinx uh, community. Uh, so now, because there is a brighter uh, awareness. So now, people, you know, you know. Now, I mean, I mean immigration doesn't have to do with the Latinx community. Uh, it has to do with uh, all races or uh, all nations, and it has to do with everyone in general. Uh, yeah. So now, uh, people tend to um, uh, hear. Other people and assist uh, other uh, ethnicity and and, and, and assist uh, other races and, and and to kind of give um, give give them resources uh, that are available uh, so that they can thrive uh, in this country. So uh, I, I would say, um, yeah, there has been some progress. Um,
0: Oh, that's great! And what are some other resources that, that you that you've benefited from personally? You know, uh, being able to kind of help you out and can make that transition here to Chicago and student life is is never really easy. So, what <laughs> has there been things uh, that uh, you've been able to benefit from, or is, I don't yeah. think yeah, maybe did somebody give you a piano at some point too, or what is it? That...
3: <laughs> well, uh, uh, um. Uh, my friend, uh, Sister Judy, who uh, is Sister Judy Humble, who is a sister of uh, daughter of Charity, uh, she uh, she called me the miracle kid. So uh, uh, yeah, so I've I have um, have faced um, some challenges uh, as a student and uh, um, and and as an immigrant s- student. So uh, but I uh, have um benefited uh uh through my challenges. And um when I first came uh when I first came to Chicago, um I mean one of the challenges that I that I've uh that I experienced was you know uh housing um insecurity and uh uh and food uh insecurity. Uh, but um um, uh, Father Larry at Saint Nagata uh, assisted me. Uh, uh, I was I, 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 he actually hosted me um, um, there uh, um, at the rectory for a uh, sh- uh, for a short period of time while I was working on my housing situation. So yeah, and 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 he also uh, connects me with. All uh, the resources uh, and run um, in Chicago with uh, connect me with uh, scholarship uh, uh, connect me with people to talk with um, and also the uh, poor uh, has been uh, great when it comes to that uh, there is an organization called the DAX Program the poor the poor USA DAX Program so it's uh, it is an organization that assists students that are facing homelessness. Or student that are housing insecure, so uh, I've been so I've um, benefited from that. Um, um yeah. So uh, uh, and also have benefited from scholarships uh, uh, that are especially for immigrants, uh, international student, uh, undocumented student, DACA, um, TPS. Yeah. Uh, so i've been there, uh, i've been uh, uh benefiting from those scholarship as well so and 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 also uh i have benefited from the chicago community uh, uh as a whole cuz uh chicago is a century city and 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 um uh, and there are a lot of resources here in chicago for immigrants uh Again, there is always room for um, for uh, improvement, uh, but I, I've be, I, I've benefited from this uh, amazing community.
0: That's great. That's great. And Fiona and Maureen, what do you see as, as challenges going forward in ways that um, both lawyers and non lawyers alike can get involved to help make change and kind of move immigration and, and policy and awareness away? from where it has been in the past four years as as a new year and a new administration uh, takes over?
2: Well, I first just want to commend Kazal for for really sharing his story. Um, It's not easy to share some of those things. And I... I'm um, so excited to see what he's gonna do. And and it is such a privilege to work with people with emigrants, hardworking, determined immigrants like Kazell. And it's stuff that I see on a daily basis that people just want the opportunity to work hard and to be the best version of themselves and you know we all need to support each other in this and so um i'm just really excited for your future and um can't wait to see what you do and hopefully we'll all be here to support you in any way possible um and your question kevin i was just kind of overwhelmed by everything because was saying so i i was half listening to your question if i'm being honest
0: i get that a lot it's fine yeah.
2: <laughs> I was just a bit over, overcome with emotion, um, just thinking about how proud your family must be as well of everything that you're doing here um, and keep up the amazing work. And if there's ever anything we can do to help you, I just would love to, to know how we can help.
1: I'd like to make a couple of observations. Um, I, I had the opportunity in my life to volunteer and work for a settlement house that basically has been serving immigrants for 150 years. And, you know, it constantly reminded me that um, none of us are from here except Native Americans. And some of them came from different parts of the world as well. And so this, you know, anti-immigrant phenomenon that develops is always a mind blower to me and that what all of us need to do is remind each other that, you know, if not for the opportunity to immigrate here, none of us would be here. And, uh, and for others, of course, it yeah, not, was not an opportunity to immigrate and it was uh, not a choice. But the point is um, we're all here from other places. And so we, as new immigrants come, how can we not acknowledge people like Kozel because our ancestors had to do all those struggles and that's what made America what it is today. Um, the other thing, you, know, you mentioned about the opportunity to stay and work after you finish school And I thought to myself, I don't know if any of you have noticed this, but um, so many cases uh, when the media interviews a doctor about during the pandemic, that doctor's an immigrant. I mean, I've seen it over and over. (laughs) They, you know, speak with an accent. They, you know, come from a different place and they're helping us survive. Just as immigrants always have done. Um, So those are just some observations I wanted to make.
0: No, oh, that's wonderful. And you know, we're all enhanced and better for Gazelle and others like him who are, who have come here, who have, who have braved the the, client, the climate and the conditions uh, we're in now, and to continue to make that strike forward. So, and going forward, what how can people get involved and help people like Gazelle and others in similar situations to to prosper, even though policies may be slow to react and change? That we could do now uh, here locally.
2: Um, I don't know if that was directed to anyone in particular, but I do, I do think there's a lot that people can do. Um, I think that, you know, just at a, at a just very basic level, Um, you know, we mentioned DACA. Um, DACA was only ever was supposed to be a temporary executive action, you know, that was done, hopefully until Congress took some permanent action. And we've been waiting for Congress to take some action and it has not happened. And so we are blessed to have such great representatives here. Senator Durbin has has been, you know, his, his, he's dedicated his career to the advancement of immigrants and to dreamers. And so I think, you know, continuing to put pressure on um, our rep- our senators or representatives um, and just chatting about that. And then at the state level, there's been a lot of advocacy work that is done. You know, Illinois was the first state to get the temporary driver's license for undocumented immigrants, which was done on a bipartisan basis down in Springfield. And um, there's a lot of really great advocacy groups here in illinois icer the illinois coalition for immigrant and refugee rights um nijc the national immigrant justice center P- and and lots so many different umbrella groups like what you guys are doing at old Saint Pat's. and i think you know each organization needs different things you know there's the young center which is also based in illinois that helps like unaccompanied children was really involved in the family separation and so i would look out um Seek out the different organizations. I actually have a list on the page for my on my website for my book, for my children's book, um, our American Dream books.com I think it is, where I list the advocacy groups and you can click on them because they all need different things. Like there's one group that that accompanies people from the Greyhound bus if they're going to, you know, if they're being resettled or they're coming for, you know, just transportation for different things. And so some other people need, um, does an organization teach that provides you know non-profit um English teaching classes one-on-one and so I feel like you kind of see see where your skill sets lie and see what you can do there's other places that want data entry that you can do remotely or you can do knitting you can knit blankets for you know there's just a lot of different ways and I think that And, you know, with everyone being at home now, we have more time to, you know, think about ways that we can give back. And I think uh, and appreciate also what we have, you know, appreciate the comforts that we have around us. And um, and I think your time as well as your money and, you know, and your commitment and advocacy, there's just a lot of different ways that you can give back. And I would say find the one that works best for you. um, And we will all be grateful uh, um,
1: for that.
0: Great. And Maureen, what can we expect going forward from the Immigration and Refugee Committee?
1: Well, as I said, we are currently positioning ourselves to support um, a specific asylum seeker named Ernesto coming from Texas, to Illinois, but we're still also looking for other ways that we can support immigrants. Um, One of the things that we um, heard about were um, two Mercy sisters. And again, I would want to underscore from all we've talked about today that it's The religious churches, religious communities and nonprofits that help immigrants the most. That's so if you as Fiona said, find one in your neighborhood or nearby and support that. But um, we want to look into um, how do we help these asylum seekers and I started to say we contributed some money because, you know, we don't want to just do money. But on the other hand, hey, (laughs) cash helps. Um, two, these two Mercy sisters um, send $10 to um, detainees, people and immigrants in immigrants and detention centers, so that they have an, um, some money to buy a phone card to speak with their family or, gee, even buy a cup of coffee or candy bar from a vending machine. So um, we sent them uh, $500 so they could do a lot of $10 donations with that. And, you know, I wanna point out the the funds that we have come from the parish. You know, we've asked periodically for people to donate and um, they generously do so. Um, So that was, and then we're also um, heard from um, two places uh, here in Chicago, Viator House, uh, or Viator House is actually in the Northern suburbs and uh, Bethany House um, in Hyde Park. These are again, non-for-profit religious centers that host um, Asylum seekers, uh, and particularly young adults, until they can just, as Kozel described to us, you know, find stable housing, you know, figure out how to get into school, um, how to eat, <laughs> um, and so that's what we're also we we agreed to help uh, those two uh, houses.
3: Well, uh, well, uh, one way that people can help, uh, I think, I mean. Uh, as Morin um, just said, ma- a- a- you know, donating money is good. Um, we need money to function and to do things. But uh, uh, I've, I-, I value uh, community uh, uh, over anything else. And uh, so, one thing that that uh, that I've benefited from in this country is people who are willing to be friend with me, and and people who are willing to mentor me. So uh, I will say to anyone out there, um, you know, find uh, find someone, uh, especially immigrants, find a, a young immigrant, uh, um, either man or woman, and just just get to know that person and 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 develop a relationship with that person and be friend with that person. And be a mentor to the person, cause it's hard as immigrant to assimilate in a new culture, and and, and 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 it's hard to navigate uh, resources. It's hard to, you know, uh, I think I think it would be great for any Americans out there, not just Americans, but anyone out there, to uh, develop a relationship with uh, with an immigrant kid or an immigrant young man or young woman and be a mentor to that person Uh, because i uh i've benefited a lot from uh people who welcome me um to their lives and willing to mentor me and uh yeah so that's a way that you can help Beautiful. And it, it, it doesn't require money and it doesn't require a lot. It just requires you take some time and mentor someone out there, mentor an immigrant out there.
0: That's great. That's wonderful. So I want to thank you, Maureen and Fiona, and especially you, Gazelle. Welcome. It's um, a delight to have you all. We now turn to discuss ways you can get action both home and abroad by getting involved with OSP's Catholic Relief Services chapter. We're joined by not only co-chairs, but co-founders and my good friends, Megan Meehan and Laura Bodine. Laura and Megan, welcome to the show.
4: Thanks, Kev. Great to be here. Thank you, Kevin.
0: So first we'll get right to it. You have a big celebration on hand with the recent passing of the Global Child Thrive Act. Could you tell us a little bit more about that?
4: Sure. Um, So the Global Child Thrive Act is the latest initiative of the CRS chapters Um, And maybe before I dive into that, I'll give you a little background of what these CRS chapters are and maybe even what CRS itself is. Uh, And then I'll pass it off to Meg to share a little more about about the Global Child Thrive Act. Um,
0: That would be great. And
4: I guess I want to start here because uh, yeah, at one point I didn't know what CRS is. Um, And so it's been a wonderful journey of learning about Catholic Relief Services which is essentially the global aid arm of the Catholic Church and they are working in over 100 countries to support folks in all sorts of projects uh, anything from agriculture to health to education to advocacy you name it they probably have projects on it Um, And I first came across them when I was volunteering abroad, actually, um, and was just incredibly impressed by their work and how everything that they do is imbued with this idea of of human dignity. Um, And so I was really excited when uh, Meg and I found out that they were gonna be starting uh, this thing called the Chapter Initiative. And this initiative is only about a year old And uh, we, as the Chicago Downtown chapter, are proud to be one of the original chapters. And the work that the CRS chapters does is primarily advocacy, uh, raising advocacy and awareness around causes that Catholic Relief Services is working towards. Uh, So it's a way for folks here locally in the United States to get involved in and advocate for international issues. Um, And it's been really interesting learning about the advocacy process, how to contact and interact with your local government, uh, and really even to get a bill passed. And uh, that is what we were able to do with the Global Child Thrive Act. So uh, Meg, I I know you are a Global Child Thrive Act lady. Would you like to speak a little to that?
5: Sure. So the Global Child Thrive Act, again, was supported by CRS along with a number of other not, uh, not-for-profit not organizations. And essentially, the goal of it was to ensure that funding from the U.S. that went to other countries would make sure that children would receive early child development, appropriate early child development activities. So that means that um, Kids who are in daycares, rather than being left kind of in a room by themselves um, or with multiple kids with you know one person looking after them, um, if money is being donated to that organization, they need to make sure that the kids are being stimulated appropriately. So that means just basic things that we do in the US here. So that means teaching them basic shapes and colors and making eye contact and playing with them. Things that uh, young brains really need um, that again, all kids get here and we take it for granted, but you can imagine that children who do not have that initial type of proper stimulation, they're already, you know, kind of gonna be, you know, at a disadvantage um, as they grow older. Um, So the hope is that by, you know, starting this out when they're young, we can help to pave the way for, um, you know, a healthier, a happier life and allow them to grow up to be positive contributing citizens to their community and um, be able to lead the way towards the future in their own communities.
0: Oh, it's, it's beautiful. No, oh, thank you for sharing. So what are some of the things that you have as a chapter here locally, um, been able to focus on and do here in, while in Chicago?
5: So it's been a learning process for Laura and I. Um, We have thankfully had some good guidance with um, our volunteer manager, um, as well as um, another woman in our chapter who has some advocacy experience. Um, But essentially what we've been taught to do is, as Laura mentioned, um, how to reach out to and communicate with our elected officials offices and uh, meet with them. So that was something I personally had never done before. I don't think Laura had either now. Um, so we were able to set up a meeting with Senator Duckworth's office and discuss the Global Child Thrive Act with her staffers um, and they were very receptive and Doc, uh, Senator Duckworth did agree to sign on. I'm not sure if she ended up doing so before the bill actually passed but regardless we had great experience with learning how to meet with them. Um, another nice. thing we have Learn to do is to write letters to the editor to again promote um, the Global Child Thrive Act. So that has been something that we um, are also learning how
4: to do.
0: Well, as somebody who was on the phone call to Senator Duckworth's staff, you yeah, definitely sounded like I you. I would knew. second
4: that, Meg. It's been a great learning process, and just so exciting to reach out to your officials your locally elected officials and have them respond to be actually sitting in a meeting with the staffers from Duckworth's office and be educating them on a bill and and an issue that is important to us. Uh, Because before we reached out to them, they weren't aware of the Global Child Thrive Act. uh, And they weren't aware of the opportunities to support it. And um, as Meg mentioned, it ended up being passed through as part of Uh, a national defense bill that gets passed through every year. And Senator Duckworth is actually one of the folks who sits on the committee that reviews that. So it was great that we were able to arm her with this information to go in and advocate for the bill um, in that arena as well. Um, and, And our chapter is only one of many doing it. So that's another great part of being in the CRS chapter. Uh, there's other chapters all around the country advocating. So power and power numbers there.
5: Another benefit has just been to connect with other Catholics in the Chicago area who we might not have otherwise met. Um, for example, we have a couple of members who are from St. Clement's Parish. Um, so it's just been kind of a cool way to create community um, and get to know people who also care about advocacy.
0: That's wonderful. And Meg, Laura told us in the beginning reasons why she was she was interested in joining CRS. Could you share what drew you to the organization?
5: Um, sure. Well, in addition to wanting to join onto whatever efforts Laura was spearheading, um, I was really <laughs> found this um, opportunity interesting because I feel so many opportunities to support Our local communities and, you know, do things for people in the city of Chicago or even in the states. But for myself, I have done a lot of medical mission trips overseas. And that was kind of, you know, how I thought I could contribute to and support uh, people overseas. But this turned out to be an opportunity to be able to do that as well, but from home. So it's kind of like, you know, I I know that the work that CRS is doing in our group as well by default is making an impact, a positive impact on um, refugees, on people who um, you know, don't have access to clean water and enough nutrition and proper housing. So I know that, I, I feel like I'm doing a small thing perhaps, but that is gonna potentially have a great impact
4: for them.
0: Well, that's wonderful, Meg. Uh, thank you for sharing. Now, Laura, what other initiatives is CRS involved with?
4: Yeah, in addition to the advocacy, we do have other opportunities uh, that we can connect you with. For example, we have a farmer to farmer program, not run through the chapters, but we, as I said, we can connect you with it. Um, and it's at the moment, a virtual volunteer program where you would be consulting with and assisting organizations on the ground in these over 100 countries that CRS works with. Uh, For example, one of our chapter members has recently completed work in a couple of different countries in Africa with a couple of different organizations. Um, Some really cool, really impactful stuff. Uh, And then of course, every organization has its uh, community giving side. And so if your gift is more monetarily focused. Uh, We'd most definitely have opportunities for that as well. Uh, Catholic Relief Service's big campaign is Rice Bowl. So you can check out if your local parish is already supporting that. Uh, and or feel free to reach out to us and and we can help you get it set up.
0: That's wonderful. And Old St. Pat's is already part of the Rice Bowl program because I remember one year trying to figure out how to fold the box together.
4: <laughs> we can so. teach oh, you yeah. that too.
0: Wonderful. And Meg, could you go ahead and tell us how uh, more ways people can get involved and how they can contact the chapter?
5: Sure. Well, probably the easiest way is to shoot us an email. We have an account. It's chicagocatholicrs at gmail.com. Um, so shoot us an email and we would love to connect. We're always looking for new members. I uh, would love to um, chat with you if you're interested in advocacy work. And um, we do a lot of different events throughout the year. We did a yoga event and look forward to doing more.
0: Well, that's wonderful. Uh, Laura, Megan, other being wonderful friends. It was a pleasure to have you uh, on the podcast and look forward to more work on great things from you to come. This certainly was a delight. Thank you.
4: Thank you, Kevin. Thanks for having us.
0: As we close out our final episode for 2020 and look forward to the promises of a new year, I'm reminded of my saint in the Empty Cove, former Senator from New York and Attorney General, Robert F. Kennedy, who once said, I come back to ask you to help in the task of a national reconciliation, to place your energies and your time and your strength in the first work of America, the building of a nation united, not on every issue, but in the enduring faith that we are to be free, that we are to have the chances for a decent life, that the natural condition of humanity is not degradation, but dignity. This is the faith that binds us together as Americans. It is this faith that shaped this nation. It is this faith that shall preserve us. From it, we will find the best within ourselves and the best within our fellow citizens. And we shall win, at the end of our labors, a new America. All of us, from the wealthiest to the young children, we all share one precious possession And that is the name American. It is not easy to know what that means. But in part, to be an American means to have been an outcast and a stranger. To have come to the exile's country. And to know that he who denies the outcast and the stranger still amongst us, he also denies America. Senator Kennedy's words speak more to us than as Americans, but as Catholics and Christians bound to make this place better and more loving and accepting of another. Thank you to all who have listened Thank you to all who have participated in the podcast this year. It has truly been an honor and a blessing working with all of you. Merry Christmas and a happy 2021. Thank you for listening to Chicago's Radical Kinship Podcast, broadcasting from Old St. Pat's Church in Chicago's West Loop. This is your host, Kevin Kelly, and I would like to thank all of my guests for joining me on this episode. This podcast was made possible by the support of OSP's parish, staff, and particularly Vince Geider and Kayla Jackson.